Please turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We'll be looking at verse number 16. I'll read verses 15 and 16 for the sake of context. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Let us pray. Father, as we just sang, speak to us. We ask for the Spirit's help, that you would help me to present your truth with clarity, with accuracy. And Father, we ask for the Spirit's help in applying the Word to to each and every heart here in this building, and, and those listening online as well. Father, help us to come away from here with a with a better understanding of your word and help us to be changed by it, to not just be hearers only, but doers as well. And Father, we do ask that that if there be any in our midst who don't know you, that they would turn to you this very day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I said last week, this, this also is another verse that is very easy to overlook. And I know it feels like we are barely crawling along, but again, there's so much here for us to learn. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So Paul is telling the Ephesians that there is no end to his praying for them. Specifically, prayers of thanksgiving. He does not cease to to thank God for these believers in his prayers. And why is Paul thankful? Well, remember Paul is writing this letter to a specific group of people. He is writing the church at Ephesus, and some would say perhaps other churches in the region. But, but, he, but he's writing to a specific group of people, and he has heard about their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for the saints, and, and he's, he's thankful for this. And we saw that that Paul is commending this faith and, and, and love as, as evidence of, of healthy Christianity, of, as evidence of true saving faith. They not only have faith, but they have love, which demonstrates the validity of their faith. So essentially, Paul is, is thankful for the true saving faith evidenced in the lives of the Ephesians. Now, I want to spend some time here because we need to see Paul's heart And be instructed by his example. Why does Paul communicate to the Ephesians his constant prayers for them? And why why include this in this letter? We ask this question because this too is not an isolated event. This is Paul's pattern of writing. Paul communicates this to the Ephesian saints, but, but he does it many other times throughout Scripture. And and when we see this type of pattern, we need to ask the question, why does he do this? Consider Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. First, I thank 
my God, through Jesus Christ for all of you. For God is my witness whom I serve with the spirit and the gospel of his Son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Philippians 1. I thank my God in all remembrance of you always and every prayer of mine for you all. 1 Corinthians, I give thanks to my God always for you. Colossians 1.3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. 2 Thessalonians, we ought always to give thanks to God for you. 1 Thessalonians, we give thanks to, to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And in Philemon, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. This is a clear pattern of Paul. Paul obviously made it a habit in his letters to, to let the believers know that he was constantly praying for them. Specifically, thanking God for them. So the question we really want to explore today is, is why does he do this? And this is, a, this is a two-part question. Number one, why does Paul pray this way? And secondly, why does he tell his readers that he prays this way? So first, why does Paul pray this way? And before we be, even begin to answer this question, let us first be clear that Paul does actually pray this way. Why do I say that? Paul did not say, I will pray for you, and then fail to pray for them. He, he is telling us about his, his pattern. Did, did you notice what, what he said in Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 10 when I read that? He said, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, so God is my witness, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. These were not empty words for Paul. Dear friends, can we honestly say that for God is my witness, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Can we honestly say that? Can we say, God is my witness that, that every time I tell someone I'm going to pray for them, I actually do it. Now, why would anyone tell someone that they would pray for them and not do it? Well, perhaps you say, I'll pray for you, but, but you don't actually mean it. Maybe you say that because it sounds like the, the nice spiritual Christian thing to say, but, but you have no intention of actually following through. It's mere empty words for you. Or, perhaps you say this when someone tells you something that's a bit uncomfortable. You don't, you don't know how to respond to what somebody just said to you, so, so your, your, your response is simply, I'll pray for you, but, but you don't actually mean it. This, this is not what Paul did. Or, maybe you, you tell people you will, you will pray for them, and, and you do intend to, but you often forget. How often does that happen to us? That's very easy to do, isn't it? In fact, one of the, the best pieces of advice I've, I've heard about this is, is if you tell somebody you're going to pray for them, do it right then. Even if you just do it in your head, do it right then, lest you not be a man or woman of your word. 
See, in either case, whether intentional or unintentional, to tell someone that we will pray for them and to not do it is wrong. And it's useless. Empty words. Listen, we need to be committed to praying for others and we need to be able to say with Paul, for God is my witness. I actually pray for you. So being a man of integrity, Paul actually does pray the way he writes about and he says that God is my witness to this. I'm not making this up. This, this is my actual pattern of living. So why does Paul pray this way? Well, as we noted, there are two specific elements that are common in his prayers for the believers he writes to. First of all, he thanks God for them. Paul writes this over and over again. I always thank my God for you. I thank God for you. I noted seven verses where Paul gives thanks to those he is writing. In. And, and here in Ephesians is, is, is an eighth verse. I do not cease to give thanks for you. Why is Paul constantly giving thanks to God for those whom he writes? Why does he pray in this way? Well, let me give you several reasons. Number one, Paul understood the importance of thankfulness. Not just asking for things, not just demanding things, but, but actually having a heart filled with thankfulness. How does Paul instruct the Colossian believers? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Colossians 3.17 and, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through Him. Thankfulness is a defining characteristic of a Christian. An unthankful Christian, dear friends, is a contradiction in terms. Richard Baxter said, An unthankful person is but a devourer of mercies and a grave to bury them in. That's what we are when we are not thankful. Philip Henry said, We must retain a, a thankful remembrance of our benefits, not write our mercies in the sand, but in marble. How many of us write our mercies in the sand? and our request in marble. This is why Paul talks so much about thankfulness. Dear friends, his, his, his mercies were wrote in marble, permanently etched. So he was a man marked by thankfulness, even though he had an extremely difficult life. Now what does this have to do with prayer? When a heart is filled with thankfulness, that thankfulness spills out in prayer. In fact, Paul often talks about thankfulness within the very context of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know God's will for you, dear saints? Thankfulness. That's His will for you in all circumstances. So that even if you're sitting in a jail cell, like Paul is writing this epistle, your heart is filled with thankfulness. What does Paul say in Philippians? Be anxious for nothing. 
But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, dear friends, do you want to be free from anxiety and have the peace of God, which surpasses understanding? Paul says, take everything to God in prayer with thanksgiving. Don't leave that out. John Gill said, for a man can can never come to the throne of grace to ask for grace and mercy, but he has mercies to bless God for. And so to do is very acceptable to God. And listen to this. Nor can a person expect to succeed in the enjoyment of future mercies when he is not thankful for past and present ones. Even in prison, Paul's heart is overflowing with thankfulness. And so in his prayers, he's constantly thankful to God. This is why Paul prays this way. But, 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 but what is it exactly that Paul is thankful for? What does he reveal to us in this text? He was thankful for others. I do not cease to give thanks for you. And he says this over and over again. I give thanks for you. Paul was genuinely thankful for believers. Specifically for what God was doing in their lives. Here in Ephesians, Paul reveals that, that, he, is, that he is thankful to these, for these believers because of what he has heard about their faith and their love. Paul is thankful for, for the Christian fruit he sees about and hears, for he, see, he hears about rather and sees in their lives. By the way, this is another indicator of love. Do you, do you want to know if you love someone? Can you give thanks for what God is doing? in their lives. If you don't love your brothers and sisters, you might be upset about what God is doing in their lives. They don't deserve that mercy. They don't deserve that grace. They don't deserve that spiritual gift that God has given to them. If we don't love them, we're actually jealous of what God is doing in others' lives. But Paul loves the brethren, and and it shows by his gratitude for for the fruit they were producing. But here's the question. Why is Paul thanking God in prayer for for the grace evidence in these believers' lives? Why, Why does he thank God instead of praising them for what they are doing? Paul recognized that God was the one working in their lives and in their hearts. He thanks God for them, for, for the faith and love he hears about because he knows that genuine and faith and love comes from who? God. This was not some gift they worked up in themselves. This was a gift from God. As, as Paul revealed to us in verses 3-14 through 14 of this chapter, God is completely sovereign in man's salvation and none of the believers he wrote to would have chosen to, to have faith in Christ unless God had opened their eyes. And none of these brothers and sisters would have had true love for one another in their hearts unless God had changed their hearts. So God is to be praised for this. God is to be thanked for this. So Paul, being well aware of this truth, thanked God, not man, for the faith and love of the believers in Ephesus. So that is the first thing we note about Paul's pattern of praying. He thanks God for the believers he writes to. But there's another thing we see as well. 
And that is that he prays without ceasing. He doesn't say that he prays for them once or twice. But he says here in verse 16, in many other places, I do not cease. What exactly does this mean? It means that he, he is constantly going before the throne of grace for these believers. Constantly praying for them. Perhaps on a, on a daily basis, bringing their name before God. And why does he do this? Why does he pray without ceasing? Ian Hamilton says the apostle was always quick to tell Christians how much he loved them prayed for them, and thanked God for them. He especially told them that he was unfailingly, that he unfailingly remembered them in his prayers. Clearly, Paul believed that the greatest and best thing he could do for these believers was to pray for them. Why does he pray without ceasing? He understands that the, the power and effectiveness of prayer. And so the best thing that, that he can, can do for them is to pray for them. And by the way, Paul is not one of those Christians who uses prayer as an excuse to not do anything. Well, I would just keep praying about that and not do anything. No, Paul was a man of action. Paul was a man who would, who would run into the middle of the riot unless he is restrained. But Paul is a man of prayer. Understanding where, where the power, where the effectiveness comes from. So Paul prays the way he does because he understands the, the importance of thanksgiving in our prayers. He, he, he is genuinely thankful for, for what God is doing in the lives of Christians. And he understands that it is in fact God who gives men genuine faith and love. And he also recognizes the importance of prayer. It is essential. But now we come to the, the second part of our main question. We understand why Paul prays the way he does, but why does he communicate that to his readers? Is Paul telling others of his constant prayers for them as a way of boasting about his prayer life? Guys, look how often I pray for you. I'm, I'm a great man of prayer. Is that what he's doing? Does he, does he simply do this to gain favor and influence? To win friends. Is that why Paul is, is telling others about his prayers for them? No. What is Paul's reason for doing this? I'll give you two reasons. Number one is to encourage them. It's easy, it's easy for us to miss this because Paul did not write this letter specifically to us. These New Testament letters are inspired by God and they are relevant to us today, but they were not addressed specifically to us. So when we read Paul saying he gives thanks to God for the faith and love he's heard about, we know he's not talking about our faith and love, so it's easy to lose something of the significance of this statement. To, to read that Paul does not cease to make mention of the Ephesians in prayer does not have the same meaning for us because Paul's not writing this to us right now saying, I'm praying for you right now. But we need to consider this in its original context. How would his readers have responded 
to being told these things. So here's this church in Ephesus. A fairly new church, and it was probably a growing church with with many struggles, perhaps even persecution, many issues. And they receive a letter from the Apostle Paul expressing gratitude to God for their genuine faith and love and, and telling them that He is constantly covering them in prayer. What does that do for these saints? It encourages them. Why? Well, first, it encourages them to know that they are being prayed for. It encourages believers to know they are being covered in prayer. This is why Paul wrote these words, so, so that the saints there would, would know that, that he's not only praying for them, but he's praying for them without ceasing. It's a, it's a constant thing. They are constantly covered in prayer. Listen to me, dear friends. If it does not encourage you to hear that people are praying for you, it is because... You don't understand prayer. You have a low, unbiblical view of prayer. If someone says, I'm praying for you, and your response is, who cares? It doesn't really matter. Listen to what Spurgeon says. No man can do me a truer kindness in this world than to pray for me. Can you resonate with that? I remember hearing a story that Dr. Beakey told he visited an elderly saint in the, in the hospital. She was sick. And he prays for her. And then before he leaves, he says, I, you know, I, I'm sorry. I just wish there's more that I can do for you. And this elderly saint said, Pastor, I'm sorry, but I have to rebuke you. What you've done for me by praying for me is more than what any doctor in this hospital could do. I think of this in, in context of my own life, oftentimes waking up on a, on a Sunday morning with a terrible sense of, of inadequacy. I don't, I don't know if I can preach today. Can I, can I escape this somehow? And then all of a sudden, a text message comes through and says, I'm praying for you. And it gives me strength to know that somebody is taking my name before the throne of God and wrestling with God on my behalf. And that gives me courage to get up and do it. we are praying for others. We are going to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who is omnipotent and sovereign and pleading on their behalf. Paul says, this is what I'm doing for you. So it's encouraging to these saints to, to know that somebody is pleading for them. And it should be encouraging to us. But also it encourages them to hear that Paul is thankful to God for, for the genuine grace he sees in their lives. Encouragement is an important element of, of growth. And Paul knew this. Encouragement is a way to, to cultivate that which is good. But by Paul telling them, telling the Ephesian saints that he is thankful for what he hears God is doing in their lives, he, he provides encouragement to press on and cultivate that which is good. Paul is telling them that God is working so powerfully in your lives that people are noticing 
Listen, dear friends, would that not be encouraging to hear? If someone wrote a letter to Harbor Church and said, you know, I haven't been there in a while, but I hear about the strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ of the saints there, and I hear about their love for one another. They, they love all the saints. It's so evident that I'm, that I'm hearing about it. Would that not encourage you to press on in faith and to press on in love for one another? Paul wants them to be encouraged by the grace of God in their lives that is clearly seen by others. Now, is this a contradiction to what I said earlier? That it was God who gave them true faith and love? No, it's not a contradiction at all. This is a tension that we have to wrestle with. All good comes from God. All spiritual fruit comes from God. But it's something that we have to work to cultivate. It's something that we actually have to labor to grow in. This is not a contradiction. We work and we strive and we seek to cultivate, but God provides the increase. God produces the fruit. So Paul tells others about his prayers and thanksgiving for them because he wants to encourage them. But there's another reason why Paul does this. He does this to give believers an example to follow. As Paul wrote once, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We need to imitate Paul in this. Paul is teaching us how to behave by what he writes about himself. And there are several things about Paul that, that we need to imitate here. Number one, Paul gives us a pattern for loving one another. Again, Hamilton says it is, it is easy to see the heart intimacy that Paul enjoyed with fellow believers. He wore his heart on his sleeve. His Christianity was never stoic, passive, or indulgently introspective. Certainly, our church life would be transformed if we regularly told other believers in the church that we thanked God and prayed unceasingly for them. Paul tells his readers, his audience, that he was praying for them too, and this is an expression of his love for them. He loved them and, and he cared for them so much that he made it his practice to, to pray for them Without season. He, he's showing us this is how you love. Listen, when we truly love someone, how do we intercede for them? Have you ever had a sick loved one? The doctors know that not much they can do. How do you feel about that? You feel helpless. But, but you know that there is a, a sovereign God out there. So, so how earnestly do you pray in that situation? Usually with more fervency than you have at any other time. Why? Because the love that you have for that person is driving you to your knees to intercede for them. Now the question, dear friends, is do we love our brothers and sisters in Christ that way? Your brother and sister in Christ loses their spouse. Do you intercede for them the way you would if that was your own loved one? 
Your brother and sister is, is, is ill. Do you intercede for them the way you would if that was your own child? This is why Paul prayed without ceasing. He loved the saints in such a way that it, that it drove him to his knees constantly in prayer for them. Listen, oftentimes we hear about each other's problems, don't we? And, and, and we know, well, I can't really help you with that. There's nothing I can do for you. Dear friend, you know somebody who can do something, don't you? So if we really want to help and we, and we really feel helpless in that situation, then why not go to the one who can solve any problem? Why, why not go to the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills? Why not go to the one who, who, who's able to raise the dead and, and heal the sick? Why not go to him in prayer? This is the pattern Paul gives for us. Again, Hamilton says, do you express your care for Christ's church and your brothers and sisters in Christ by diligently, faithfully, and determinately praying for them? Paul has given us an example, dear friends, of how to love one another. But secondly, this is the pattern for how we should pray for one another. So we just heard that our love for one another should lead us to pray for one another, but, but how should we pray? Again, Paul prayed without ceasing. This is his pattern, but this is also his command. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. What does this mean? Does it mean we never do anything but pray? We never leave the prayer closet? No. But it means that we are constantly in prayer. We have times of, of prayer alone in the prayer closet. We are praying in our families and we are praying when we meet together as a church. But, but not only that, John Gill notes there, there is such a thing as mental prayer, praying in the heart, private ejaculations of the soul, which may be sent up to heaven while a man is engaged in the affairs of life. There should be no end to our praying. Yes, we, we, set a time, we set aside time specifically to pray without distraction, but we must pray our way through the day. How often do you run into a difficulty in your work? You say, Lord, help me with this. This person is, is really irritating me right now. Lord, help me to not be angry. Help me to calm down. Listen, prayer should be our disposition where we're constantly talking to God all throughout the day, through every circumstance, in every situation where we're constantly interceding. Mental prayers shot up to God all throughout the day. And as we pray this way, as was the pattern of Paul, we need to incorporate our brothers and sisters. As you think of other Christians throughout the day, pray for them. As you spend time alone in the, in the prayer closet, intercede for your brothers and sisters in Christ. As you are praying together as a family, pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ as a family. And as we get together corporately as a church, we need to pray for our brothers and sisters as a church. And as you just randomly think of them, pray for them. This is what it means to pray for them without ceasing. But thirdly, this is the pattern for how we should encourage 
one another. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank God for what you see Him doing in their lives and then let them know that you're doing it. This, this is not wrong. This is not boasting. This is Paul's pattern. Brother, sister, I see what the Lord is doing in your life. I'm praising God with you for that. Brother, I, I see your zeal. I see the, the zeal that God has given you. I'm praising God for that. Listen to what Chapel says. It takes no special skill to see what is wrong with people and to criticize them. But to see people robed in a righteousness not their own and to encourage them on this basis to be more of what they should be powerfully communicates the heart of Christ. By the way, you want to know what a good leader looks like? This is what he says. The best leaders are those who develop the ability to see the good that is sprouting in people and water its growth with commendation. Even when it is obvious to the leader and perhaps to everyone else in the church that more growth is needed. We provide spiritual support by commending others for the good we can see despite the growth they still need. Dear friends, this is how the church grows into a warm, loving, encouraging, encouraging, vibrant community of believers. We must encourage one another. Listen, this does not mean that, that we don't correct that which is wrong. Paul corrected people. He withstood Peter to his face. He wrote letters that were sharp. But he's encouraging. This does not mean we don't correct. But it does mean that we need to encourage in what is good and not just correct what is wrong. You see this in Christ. I mean, his patience is amazing in the, in the Gospels. The stupid questions that his disciples ask, the, the stupid things they do and think. Can you imagine that Christ knew every one of their thoughts and he wasn't rebuking them all day long? That, that's sobering to think of. I mean, Peter said some pretty stupid stuff, so imagine what was in his head that he didn't say. And Christ knew it. And yet he did not want to exacerbate them, so what did he do? He encouraged them in spite of every flaw he was aware of in them. He didn't want to provoke them to wrath by constant correction and no encouragement. Perhaps you say, I want to be careful, though. I don't want to be too quick to, to do that, to encourage someone, because they might have sin. They, they may be a hypocrite. And I don't want to encourage them in their hypocrisy. So, so I want to be very slow to do this. Paul, dear friends, was not slow to do this. He was quick to do it. In fact, Paul did this for Christians he never even met. It had possibly been five years since Paul was in Ephesus at the time of his writing this letter. 
And again, this is why why he says, I have heard of your faith and love. Instead of saying, I I know it firsthand, he he heard about it. There there are people there he he doesn't know. He he hasn't been there to, to see what's happening himself. All he has is what he heard. And he commends them. Let's take it farther. What did Paul write to the Romans? Even though he had never been to the Roman church yet. I thank my God through Christ Jesus for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Listen, Paul had not yet met these believers. And in fact, he tells them in verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. He's never been there before, never met them. And yet, he's praising the faith that he sees in them. He's not afraid to encourage. He's not so careful with his encouragement that that I'm going to give this man a theological test before I can encourage him in anything that he does. Let me close with two questions. Number one, are we aware of the good that God is doing in and through our brothers and sisters here? Or are we only aware of each other's faults? If I were to ask you right now, just pick a random person and point it to that person, I can almost guarantee you could tell me something